be seated. And uh, this morning, we are starting our second week looking at the advent of Jesus Christ. As we talked about last week, we're going to be looking at hope, love, joy, and peace. So last week on week one, we looked at hope and we talked about what it means to have uh, genuine hope, right? A hope that only comes from Jesus Christ. And that sets us up for week two of Advent, where we're going to talk about love and what is love and what is the genuine love that we have only because of what God's done for us. And as I prepared for this uh, sermon this week, um, it was on a very familiar subject, but I realized a subject that's very difficult to define. I mean, think about that for a moment. If I was to ask you right Right now, where you're sitting, what is love? What answer would you give me? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, right? It's, it's, it's very hard for us. And I've, in fact, I think it's hard for us, particularly in our culture, because we think of love in such abstract terms. If you go to uh, the original language of Greek, where the New Testament was written in, they have over six different words um, that are used interchangeably for love, depending upon the scenario. So it was easier to define. And for us, uh, we just kind of use the same general word love for just about everything. Thing, right, So it makes it a little bit harder to define. In fact, I've heard people say that uh, they love cake. Okay, um, who loves cake? Anybody? See, people love cake. I love cake. Uh, we had uh, uh, dinner last night. We had a date night last night at Jack Stack. Praise the Lord uh, for barbecue, right? Praise the Lord uh, for opportunities to have date nights. And when you combine the two, that's love, all right? And so um, we, we were able to go there and we, we already ate too much. And, and the guy's like, would you like carrot cake? And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound good. So I'm off the hook. I said, you don't have any other desserts, right? And he said, no, we do. We have a brownie covered in vanilla ice cream as well. And I'm like, okay, well, then we're going to have that. All right? And so um, lots of us love things. I mean, we'll use that word for, for things that we enjoy eating. Uh, we'll use that word for things we enjoy doing. Some of you love hunting. Some of you love fishing. Some of you love shopping. And so your spiritual giftedness is is well represented in December, right? And so um, you're just out there doing your thing and, and you love it, right? Some of you have pets that you love and some of you have children that you love, all right? And so, uh, and, and, and just say that they're all on the same level would be, would be ridiculous, right? But we just use the same word in such a general sense that I believe that it's hard for us at times to define what it is that we mean when we say we love something. Because like we jokingly said, to say that I love cake is not the same as what I mean when I say I love my wife, right? Or I love Christ. And so we're going to talk about that this morning when we talk about love and, and how hard it is to define. But here's two things that I know for certain. As hard as it is to define, I know these two things for certain. Number one, we know it when we see it. And we know it when we experience it, right? And, and I think that's a two universal truths when it comes to love. In fact, those are so universal that even children, very young kids, 
can spot love when they see it and they know it, when they experience it. In fact, I wanted to share a couple of these uh, with you. When young kids were asked to describe love, these are some of the answers that they gave, and some of them are incredibly uh, awesome, and some of them are very funny as well. So I wanted to share them with you. So the first one, Karen, age seven, says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. All right, so some middle school boy that's happening to right now, probably happened to this morning, right? And, um, the next one I hear, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> All right, that's awesome. I mean, if that doesn't summarize the dating world, I don't know, I don't know what does. Um, Chrissy, age six, says, love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. All right, that's, that's self-sacrificial right there. The next one says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time even when his hands have arthritis too. That's love. That's absolutely true. Kids know it when they see it. They know it when they experience it. Another kid says here, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they've known each other so long and so well. Thought that was interesting too. Next one here says, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. All right. I don't know if that was taste or she just wanted a drink first, but that's what love is. Nikki here says, Nikki age six says, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend that you hate. Man. Next one on here says, I'm not sure because everyone who says that they love each other in my family acts like they really hate each other. <laughs> so love is complex, right? It's, it's difficult to define. And this is last but certainly not least. I thought that this young lady pretty much hit the nail on the head. She said, there are two kinds of love, our love and God's love. And God makes both kinds of them. And I thought, man, that pretty much summarizes what we're going to be talking about this morning. When we talk about the idea of love, we're going to define it. We're going to talk about how God has demonstrated it for us. And we're going to talk about what impact that should have on our lives as believers who've experienced God's love and are called to give that love out to a lost and dying world, all right? So let's pray this morning and then we will jump into this text together. Father, we thank you so much for love. And God, we thank you for the fact that you've loved us so much, God, that you've sent your one and only son so that we could have eternal life. And God, I pray that this morning as we begin to look at your word and God, we begin to unpack what love is and we begin to define it based upon your terms, God, and we begin to look at how you've demonstrated it for us through the work of Christ, and we begin to look at how you expect us to love others. Lord, I pray that you would just challenge us. God, I pray that you would challenge each one of us where we're at this morning. 
God, I know that we all came in through these doors with a lot of things on our plate, many things going on, all at different uh, places in our lives. But God, the, the truth is still the same for all of us is that we need to be reminded that you love us. And God, that you have called us to love others as well. And so Father, I pray that you would guide our time together this morning in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you grab your Bibles, get them out and open them to 1 John. 1 John. Uh, if you're familiar somewhat with the Bible, there are many, many passages that you can go to to talk about love. Uh, some of you may be familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's all kinds of places that we could go, but just in my study this week and, and thinking about what it means uh, in regards to Advent, what, what does love mean in regards to Jesus coming, I thought that 1 John chapter 4 summarizes it so well. So we'll be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, and we will be reading uh, verses 7 through 12 together, and we're going to break it down because it kind of follows a natural flow, if you will, and so as I said uh, in the introduction, we're going to be looking at three things specifically this morning. The first thing that we're going to look at is uh, the, how love is defined in terms of, of 1 John here. And then we're going to look at a couple of verses uh, where it talks about how God has demonstrated his love towards us. And then we're going to talk about the impact that that should have on our lives. So let's first start with how love is defined. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And then we're going to unpack this this morning, all right? So read with me. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so John defines for us what biblical love is in this text from the perspective of God. And he gives us uh, several reminders here this morning that I want us to pull out of these two verses. The first one is this, that love originates from God. Love originates from God. We would have no real meaningful idea of what love is if it weren't for Jesus Christ coming. That's what's so beautiful about this Advent season and in this text when we talk about love and defining it, we have to understand that it originates from God. We would all be walking around with pitiful definitions like I love cake and things like that if we didn't have a full understanding of the meaning of love that we have been supplied by God. And so that's the first thing that he reminds us of in this text in regards to love. And the second thing here is that love is fundamental to God's character. Love's fundamental to God's character. And if we're completely honest, we would recognize that this is the single attribute that everyone is okay with, right? When you think about the attributes of God, they are, there are many. The list is, is very long and uh, this is one in particular that everyone can get behind, right? Like you've even probably heard people say it before, that God is love. In fact, if you're a Christian long enough, you'll see that people will begin to use it against him in certain aspects. And they'll even begin to use it against you and the things that you believe because how could a God that is love do some of the things that he does? And it's because they don't understand that God isn't limited to one single attribute, but love is is a fundamental attribute to God's 
character. We even see that in John 3, 16. It's one of the most well-known verses among all people, whether they're in church or not. Many, many people at least know uh, something about this verse. In fact, let me show of hands, who has this verse memorized? Who in the room has John 3, 16 memorized? All right, so I'm gonna pick a hand to come up here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're like, no, 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 please. All the hands went down real fast. Uh, don't make me come up there and recite it, but we, but we all even know this, right? So for God so loved the world that he gave. There you go. And what we just learned is there's multiple translations, <laughs> multiple Bible translations being used across this room because I heard some ESV and some NLT and some KJV was still in there. You know, and so, uh, but, but we all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. This is ingrained in us and we understand that this is fundamental to God's character. So it is true when people say that God is love. We just can't limit God to that singular attribute. And also it makes sense as we've already talked about in terms of revelation, when we talk about God's wrath and love, a lot of people don't see how the two can fit together, but I would say that they exist because of one another. It makes perfect sense. Think about this. If you're a parent or if you're married or you have somebody in your life that you love, right? If you love them a great deal, there are things that could happen to them or towards them that would create a great deal of wrath in you, right? Like, and so they, they exist together. And so God isn't limited to either one of these attributes on on their own, but they all fit together. So it is true that love is a fundamental character of God, but it's not his only attribute. The next thing that we're reminded of here is that love is more than an abstract thought or an emotional response. It's action, right? It's, it is something. It's who God is. It's the same language is used in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, when it says God is light, He's wanting us to understand something about God, that it's more than just a, this abstract thought about him. It is who he is. And so the same thing with love. Love is more than an abstract thought or an emotional response. We all know that. Again, back to the fact that if you're married in the room or you have kids in the room, you know without a doubt that love is more than an emotional response, right? Love is a choice, Love is an action. Love is something that is demonstrable, right? It's something that you do. Like these kids, they know it when they see it. Love in a marriage is getting up on days that you don't like each other and choosing to continue to love one another. It's days where everything is falling apart and your little sweet angels aren't acting like little angels you're trying to take their little pitchforks from them and all that stuff, you know, and, and, and you recognize that you still love them regardless of what's going on. It's, it's demonstrable. And God's love, the Bible talks about it in this. As I said, in the Greek language, there are six or more ways to describe love. And in every reference to God's love towards us, it's used with the word agape, right? So there's an agape kind of love, a love that we see coming from God towards us. And it's, and it's defined in at least these three ways. The first one is that it's unending. It's unending, 
right? And this is hard for us. Again, in our, in our cultural context, it's hard for us to understand that there's a love out there that's unending. I mean, how many of us have heard somebody say that there's something that they don't love anymore or someone that they don't love anymore? Well, God's love towards us is one that is unending. The second one is it's unconditional, it's unconditional. Praise the Lord. I've told you guys this many, many times. Praise God that his love for me isn't based upon my performance. Because there are many days, every day, if I'm honest, that I am undeserving of the kind of love that God extends towards me as a follower of his. And yet it's there regardless of what I do. So that's not a pass to go out and do whatever to test God's limits on love, but it's a powerful reminder to us in this room this morning that if you are in Christ, his love towards you is unconditional and it's not based upon your performance. And some of you in here need to hear that this morning, that God has not changed his mind about you, that there's nothing that you've done this week or last month or that you're gonna do in two weeks from now that's gonna change God's opinion and love towards you because his love is unconditional. It's an agape type love. And the third, third way to define this agape love is it's self-sacrificing. It's self-sacrificing and we saw that even in the definition and understanding of love from small children. You know, it was funny to read about giving somebody else your french fries without asking for any of theirs back, but in a child's mind, what they're recognizing is self-sacrifice. They're watching people willing to die to self and live for other people and that's what is, is mesmerizing to us. When we see love like that, it's incredible for us to see, and that's why God's love towards us is so unique and so special, because it's unending, it's unconditional, and it's self-sacrificing. So to summarize this, as we define love, what is love? Well, first, love comes from God. It's fundamental to his character. It's more than an abstract thought or emotional response. It's action and it's unending, it's unconditional, and it's self-sacrificing. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as I mentioned. If you flip over to that real fast, verses 4 through 7 summarize it. From God's perspective, this is what love is, and this is what he wants us to understand about it. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so that's, that's basically what John is summarizing for us here as we define what love is, it's the same idea that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the same definition that we see. If we continue on, we're gonna read verses nine and 10 and we're gonna see that not only is love defined in this passage, but it's demonstrated, all right? love. Remember, love is a choice, it's an action. And we're gonna see how God has chosen and responded in action towards us in our sinful state, right? So look at 1 John chapter four, verses nine and 10. Verse nine says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
That's what Derek just got done talking about when we referenced that song. John chapter one, verse 14 said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And this is more than just Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Although we understand those to be the, the pinnacle of what he's done for us, we have to rewind a little bit and talk about the fact that he was even willing to come for us. That's what he talked about, from from eternal glory to a manger in the dirt. I mean, wrap your mind around that for a second, that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to us. And I think the reason why we're not more in awe of that is because we have no context of what it's like where he came from. And we don't fully understand the sinful depravity and brokenness of this world. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to earth, a broken and sinful place so that we might be reconciled back to God. What an unbelievable thought that he would do that for us. That is love in action. That is love demonstrated that God would love us to the point of coming after us and rescuing us from our hopeless situation. But look at verse 10 because he unpacks it a little bit more. Not only did he come and made manifest among us, but this is, there, these are the details of his coming. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I bet you that's the first time you've heard propitiation this week. But it's what we've been talking about in Revelation. Propitiation is very simple to unpack. It is a payment being made to remove the wrath of God that's upon us. So the Bible is telling us not only did Jesus leave the glory of heaven and come to this broken earth to show us how much he loves us, but he came for us to be our propitiation, to stand in the gap, right? To take upon himself the wrath of God that was designated for us. And we know that he does this by dying on the cross and being raised back to life three days later. It reminds me of Romans chapter five, verses seven through nine. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? That is what it means that he made propitiation for our sins. And it's good for us to understand that not only did he leave the glory of heaven and come to this broken world, but he did it for those who were openly in opposition to him. That's what Romans 5 is about. It's saying, listen, there might be some people it's scarce, but there might be some people willing to lay down their lives for other people that they care a lot about or that, that they would consider righteous people, right? Like I think all of us in the room have a, have a list of folks that we would be willing to lay down our lives for. But you know who's not on my list? My enemies. And just like that little girl said in the introduction, if you want to know what real love is, if you want to have a better understanding of love, then start with those people that you actually hate. Because that's what God did for us. 
in so doing, in leaving heaven, he wasn't coming after people who deserved it. He wasn't even coming after people who loved him back. The Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians is all about. And that we stood in a hopeless situation. And this in Romans chapter 5 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous for the ungodly. Why? And that's a great question. And the Bible answers that question with love. If we go back to 1 John, let's read it again. Why would he do this? It's because that he loves us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God proved it. When he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That is the answer to the question that all of your lost friends ask when they say, how could a loving God fill in the blank? The answer is a loving God does not desire that for you. A loving God does not want you to go to hell. In fact, he doesn't want to so badly that he sent his son so that you don't have to. And that's how he demonstrated his love for us. If we continue on, finish in verse 11 and 12, we see that love is then developed through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look at verse 11. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, so he's, he's talking about how much God's loved us, how we've defined love, what God's done for us to demonstrate his love. He's saying, if God has so loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. We all laugh when we read the, the article or, or the quote by the young uh, man that said, listen, I don't really know what love is because everybody in my house who says they love each other acts like they really hate each other, right? Uh, I mean, I think sometimes the truth, uh, the same can be said of, of, of those of us that are believers, and the church, this is why unity is so important. This is why God protects it and guards it so much that the lost and dying world should be able to look in on what we're doing here and see how we treat one another and how we love one another and recognize that something different's going on. All right? We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. We shouldn't fit into a Jerry Springer episode, right? Like everybody else, we should recognize that we are different and we should love one another because why? Because God has so loved us. Jesus even reminds us this when he talks about the importance of loving others in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. He's asked a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So Jesus summarizes it. God has so loved you that in response, you should love him back with everything that you've got. And then he continues. Verse 38, or excuse me, verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these things, the two commandments depend, and on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. And then it continues on in verse 12, going back to 1 John. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
So we see that we've had love defined. We see that it's been demonstrated for us. We have the ultimate example of what biblical love looks like in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, and because of that, now you should be loving other people around you the same way that God's loved you. So what's this look like? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, he gives us a little peek at this. He says, little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I think that's what we need to be reminded of this morning is as we live this out, we should be able to demonstrate it. Like I said, love is hard to define when it's just words and, and talk. But man, when it's in deed and in truth, we know it when we see it and we know it when we experience it. And all of that is made possible because of Jesus Christ and him coming for us and showing us what real, genuine God love is all about. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. God, we thank you for the fact that, Lord, you do love us. And God, we are, we are eternally grateful for the fact that you are a God that is love. And God, we thank you most of all that you were willing to demonstrate your love for us by leaving the splendor of heaven and coming down into this broken and sinful world and for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that's provide a way to experience eternal life and forgiveness of our sins and come out from underneath the wrath of God. So thank you. And I pray this year as we prepare for Christmas, God, that we would be mindful of that. That this isn't just another holiday. This isn't just something else we get to do, God. This is a time for us to stop and recognize your goodness and your love towards us. And Father, I pray that when we really understand how you've loved us, God, that we are able through the work of your Holy Spirit to take that love and demonstrate it to those that are around us. God, we want to have the same kind of love for people that you've put in our life. Agape kind of love, God, that's unending, that, that's unconditional, and that's self-sacrificing, Lord. Help us to be able to do that. Help us to be able to love one another well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you're at this morning. This is our time of invitation, our time of response today. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have not personally experienced the love that God has towards you, I would love for you to come and talk to one of us pastors this morning. We would love to be able to pray with you, explain to you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've already done that, you've made a profession of faith, but you recognize that you've never taken the next step of obedience and believer's baptism, same thing. We want to invite you to come and respond this morning. Let us know that you need to be baptized. If you've completed 
our Discover class and our membership process and you believe and feel that God is leading you to join this church family, we ask that you come and share that with us this morning so that we can celebrate together. But this time is yours. I'd ask you to respond however God is leading you.